Yo, I'm Will. Welcome. I call this little experiment anything is everything. It's got to be called something. The intention here is to share interesting, courageous, enlightening, vulnerable, strange, silly conversations to uh, maybe hopefully inspire something in you. All right, cool. Bye. All right. Good to go. Good to go. Okay. Hey, folks. Welcome back to Anything is Everything. Today, I have an epic, amazing, super special guest, Molly J. Wilder. She is an intuitive life coach. She is an amazing writer. She is an absolute perfect gardener. She is the host (laughs) and operator and creator of the Wilder podcast, focused around inner work. Welcome, Molly. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for that. The most perfect gardener. Oh, the most perfectly imperfect gardener. Um, (laughs) I have a huge smile on because that was quite the the introduction. I appreciate you. (laughs) Oh, you deserve it. Thanks. What are uh, what are you getting ready to grow this year? I really want to grow some sweet peas. I, we have this uh-huh. south-facing house, and I mean, like, I want to grow vegetables. I would love to grow a tunnel of squash. That's like on my list of things I want to grow this year, um, which might be a little bit ambitious because I'm also having a baby in April, which is like <laughs> perfect gardening season. <laughs> totally. Um, but we have a south-facing house, and um, we moved in in September, and they're, they've still been renoing. So it's a really bare yard. It's a re- like everything's a clean slate. Mm. And I just want to walk into my front door and smell sweet peas and have that uh-huh. fragrance all summer long. And I'm just, yeah, I'm, I love it. The, anything that's like super sensory like that is mm-hmm. medicine to my soul. Mm. Epic. What uh, what or who got you into gardening? My mom got me into gardening, and Aww. it wasn't really an option. It was like <laughs> I grew up, the first possible memories I have, we've always had a garden, and I'd like play bunnies. Like I'd pretend I was a little bunny with my girlfriend, and we'd mm-hmm. hop around the garden and munch on all of the little things that we could, eating all the dirt, eating the carrots, eating the chives, and mm. that would be the game we played. So gardening <laughs> has always been part of my life. That's adorable. Perhaps your earliest experience is shape-shifting. You know, it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> I feel like there was probably some experiences before that um mm. i feel like there's a lot of womb magic last mm. night i was or i guess early this morning at like four o'clock this morning um i felt like my baby was shape-shifting inside me there was so much movement like <laughs> it, it feels very strange i mean this is my first baby and it reminds me like even just watching the movement sometimes it reminds me of those alien movies where like there's an alien stuck in someone's body and they're like moving around the skins contorting and everything else and it's it's very real like uh-huh. i didn't realize how real that is <laughs> yeah well that would be so strange and it's like oh it's weird that's like the one thing that i will never get to experience 
you know, as a man is that like yeah. majesty of like growing something inside you. It's so incredible. Yeah. You will not. You're right. You won't experience it. <laughs> um, or it's good and bad. It's quite the trip, you know, like I, I think there's so much magic in the the many genders and non-genders of this world. Mm-hmm. And there's so much. I love being a woman. There's so mm-hmm. much magic in it. And, you know, men who are really comfortable with themselves and like really embody the the many nuances of what that means. There's so much magic in that as well. And non-binary folks, like they have their own wisdom Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really beautiful. And like the world needs all of it. So even if you're not, you know, you're not able to carry this life form inside you, you have your own magic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. And like, and and it, no matter what you are or what you identify as, like all of it is available to us. You know, mm-hmm. we can all embody the different archetypes, masculine, feminine, or both. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's so it's so amazing. It's beautiful. I love it. Mm-hmm. So talking about magic, you've uh, tell you about magic. You've had, you've had quite the career, in magic <laughs> and experiences. Yeah. What's some like what's some like of the the like early stuff? The early stuff. Oh, it would be like back maybe not hopping around bunny days, mm-hmm. but um probably in the years of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So like <laughs> nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, like late episodes. I was super into the Wicca and like I was like nine or ten years old and just loving all the spell books and like mm. waving sticks around pretending I was a witch and yeah magic has also always been there <laughs> in some imaginary form or the other I used to love mm. fairies um mm-hmm. yeah just the mystical you know like even now you know I'm not so into fairies and and reading kids spell books <laughs> mm. um but I really love myth and mm-hmm. the unknown. And, you know, on the full moon we had just recently, I was sitting, I got this new rocking chair, which I'm really, really excited oh, about nice. because it's like the bigger I get, the more I just want to like continue to move. <laughs> and I like sit in my rocking chair and feel my timeless self is like not really being this old woman, but feeling kind of like an old woman. Uh-huh. Um And I was sitting there, it was really early in the morning, and it was a super foggy day. Like, I'm right on the coast, and Mm -hmm. the fog just rolled in so much so that you could see the houses on the other side of the street, but not the houses behind those. Uh, I love that. uh, it It was so beautiful. I opened my front door to let my dogs out and do their thing, and it was really muffled, and the sound... You know, it, it changes, fog changes our perception. It changes what we see. It changes how we see distance. It changes how we hear. And I just sat in the magic of that. And then there was some crows, of course, because like if you mm. have fog, you have to have some crows. Like they just mm-hmm. go together. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like I was back on Vancouver Island and it just felt, just the moment of it and the presence of it felt so beautiful and rich 
and like really like rich in the like I felt wealthy sense. Mm. You know, it was it was really special. So yeah, magic has always been there for me. Um, I think at some points in my life, I've gone through periods where I've lost the magic, mm. especially going through mental health struggles and big depression and um, a lot of dissociation. I lost the magic. And I think to be healthy, we need it. We mm. need it so badly. Whether we call it magic, whether we call it, you know, vital energy or something else, mm. uh, you know, I don't think it matters what we call it, but we need it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, it really doesn't matter what we call it, but it's what I think is cool is that everybody can, uh, can have an identification with that word of magic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, you know, and, and even if it's people who just like sternly don't believe in, in magic, that kind, that kind of stuff. It has <laughs> no <its> fantastical own... <laughs> things. <laughs> no, nothing. That's, that's child stuff. Yeah. I'd love to hear your, uh, your opinions or your feelings on the imagination because I've kind of recently been having um, a realization that like the imagination is kind of like a portal into accessing, you know, other realms and, and a bunch of different types of magic. Mm. And it's like a real thing, you know, it's not this like fake made up thing. Like it has weight and it has power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Will, are you a Harry Potter person? Griffin. I promise this is related. Okay. (laughs) I'm a Ravenclaw, but um, anyways, (laughs) Um, at the end of the series, I hope I'm not spoiling it for anyone at this point. Like if you haven't read it, sorry. (laughs) Um, When Dumbledore is standing with Harry at the King's Cross station that is in Harry's head he says mm. he asks Dumbledore if this is real and Dumbledore looks at him and he says or if it was just in his head and he says you tell me or he, something along along those lines like I, mm. I can't remember the wording but he says but just because it's in your head does that mean it's not real mm-hmm. and I love that like here we are Harry Potter wisdom um <laughs> I love it but it's true it. you know like our our imagination is so powerful and I think I think we have to be conscious of it just like we have to be conscious of everything in life and I have a teacher and friend Cordell Jacks and he teaches about lucid dreaming and dream work and he's great mm. at it um we've sat together in ceremony for years and he talks about he'll he'll share about different practices around the world and he talks about this particular lineage and I'm, I can't quite remember where he said it was from but it's where they believe that dreams are are just as important as our waking life so as much as we ask like hey how was your day they would ask how were your dreams in absolute mm-hmm. sincerity and for myself I noticed that imagination can be this huge gift and it can be my Achilles heel. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, this, this word magic, just because we have this ability to use it doesn't mean we get to use it without consciousness. And when I'm being unconscious with my imagination, 
it will somewhat turn on me. It'll take me into scenarios where that feed my anger or feed mm -hmm. my fear. There's scenarios that, that feed my shame because these emotions are places that are familiar to me and familiarity mm -hmm. to our ego equals good. Familiarity means safety, even mm -hmm. though it may not be safe. And so my, my imagination can take me into those places as well, as much as it can take me into, like you say, this, this world of possibility and healing. Um, and I think curiosity and imagination go hand in hand, because if you can have deep curiosity of wanting to know about something, you can also have this ability to imagine possibility. Mm. <clears throat> I love that. That's epic. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I also am going to challenge you to see how many uh, like Harry Potter quotes and wisdom pieces you can bring in in this. Talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's on. And Harry Potter got me through college. Like, like my some dark, dark years. Like college, I I was really unhealthy, really mm. depressed, and I I think I dropped down to just just under 110 pounds, which for my height and mm. sorry, my dog's in the background for my height. That's not, it's not a healthy, um, weight to be, especially with the mentality that I had. Um, mm -hmm. and I would listen to Jim Dale's version. So him narrating Harry Potter on mm. repeat, just as white noise, because it was a familiar oh, cool. thing to me. I like grew up mm -hmm. with it. And so it, it was like, soothing for my nervous system even if I wasn't tuned into the story mm -hmm. yeah beautiful so, yeah challenge accepted <laughs> <laughs> I guess okay just another quick note about Harry Potter <laughs> is that it was so dope being like the exact same age as like the actors you know as right? the movies were coming out it was just such an experience but anyway Cool. I was. Um, were we hmm. the same age as the movies? I remember reading the I don't books. Know. It was and close. The books, it was like, real close. Yeah, it was super close. Yeah, you got to like grow up with Hermione Granger, and like, yeah, she was a badass. Like, I think uh -huh. she influenced a lot of my like anti patriarchiness. <laughs> uh huh. Oh yeah, and she just kept being a badass, and still is. You know, like speaking at the UN and all that kind of stuff. Like, wow. Oh yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's so amazing. Like not to go off on more tangents, but you look at some of the characters that you'd find in like the Disney's family channel shows when we were growing up mm -hmm. and how playing those characters for years on end influenced those young women. Mm. And I always think about like Ginny Weasley. I can't remember the actress's name and Emma Watson who played Hermione Granger, obviously, and how those roles impacted who they are and how they stood in, in their own selves. And like, I just, I'm always wonder, I'm like, if Emma Watson played a different role growing up, how would that have impacted her? Uh -huh. Anyways, yeah, these well, are questions I, mean, that... I think about in my rocking chair. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that brings up a good thing of like nature versus nurture and like you know so this is kind of more like nature versus experience 
Yeah, right? or nature needs nurture. Mm. Yeah. Cool thoughts. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was a good tangent. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, so like when you were when you were talking about sitting in your rocking chair and feeling that like real crone energy, um, I would love to get your take on, you know, moving from from the physical um maiden into the physical mother. Mm. And what's what that's feeling like. Cause like we can we all feel those those three archetypes um kind of all the time and just like in different situations, you know? But yeah. like I think stepping into them either if it's like by age or, you know, by by growing families, it's like a mm-hmm. whole different thing. So like what are your what have been your musings lately on yeah. that? Um, I think about it a lot actually, and I'm glad that you want I'm glad you wanted to talk about it because um hmm. I think even vocalizing it in myself um, it really nails down how I'm feeling about it mm-hmm. because it, it does change. You know, there's some days where I really feel the mother energy and I'm, I'm a cancer rising. So I've got mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of that energy already. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I like what you said, you know, we all have these archetypes within us to varying degrees Um, And I do believe that some people don't end up growing through that archetypal lineage. You know, some people stay the maiden forever. They don't, regardless of age, regardless of if they have children or not, Mm -hmm. um, that archetype stays the dominant archetype. Mm -hmm. Just like I'm sure you've met um, mothers of our parents' generation who are, you know, moving into the age of the grandmother um, Mm -hmm. and the crone, although in our society, you'd probably never use the word crone to their face. Um, Yeah. Right. Call them young ladies. And that's it. Uh, I want to be, I want to be grandmother when I'm Uh in my seventies and Uh, Uh eighties, regardless of if I'm a grandmother or not, but that's the archetype that I'm most excited for. Um, But, but you do, we all know, the older women in our lives who don't leave the mother archetype like Mm -hmm. that is their identity that is who they are they will always be a mother and they are holding on to that Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't I don't necessarily have any opinion of that or not it is just I'm just saying it to say that like I don't think necessarily we all move through those three dominant archetypal stages mm-hmm. um although i do think it's very beautiful when when you see the mothers shift into the crone and that wisdom that comes with it um yeah i love that i think it's exciting and magical in all senses of the word but for uh-huh. my own journey with this it's been you know it's been interesting because i've wanted to you know I, we we started my partner and I started to try and get pregnant started trying to get pregnant um late last or I guess late 2020 and I actually got pregnant and ended up having a miscarriage quite Mm. early on which is very common um Mm. difficult emotional um, Mm -hmm. but also common and I've wanted to be a mom and 
and I always think of it not as, you know, having children, but stewarding children, like not having Mm -hmm. the ownership over them. Like Mm -hmm. this thing is mine, but knowing that I'm, I'm stewarding their journey until they can take over their journey fully by themselves. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've always wanted to be in that role. And so when I got pregnant in August, um, there was a lot of stuff going on. Like Jared and I were moving. There was, you know, all of the things that went with that. We were, there was some family stuff happening and I was overtaken by anger and rage that I didn't actually feel like was mine. Mm. I felt like it was maybe generational, mm. maybe something to do with the beautiful soul that was coming to inhabit my body um, mm-hmm. and and maybe also mine. You know, it was really hard to tell, but it, it took weeks and... And, and to an extent, I'm still working through that anger because probably it, it brought up a lot of my own anger that I hadn't allowed myself to feel yet. And and really learning to sit with it with patience, um, with self-compassion, with non-reactivity. These have been huge lessons throughout my pregnancy. And you think of like once you have a child outside of your body screaming for your attention and not sleeping, challenging your nervous system in so many ways, these lessons are really important. So having deep compassion, having patience, um, those are very, very important things when raising a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because this anger has been very transformative for me. I have never, ever been someone who says, yes, I have a lot of patience. I don't mm. like very short wig. <laughs> um, I more so now it's, it's something I'm, I've been learning. It's something that has been on my radar for years <laughs> that I must learn and I'm finally learning it and will probably spend um, many more years continuing Uh to develop this thing inside me at least Um, 18 more oh probably more (laughs) we'll see (laughs) i hope i hope there's like you know i hope the learning curve isn't isn't too bad i hope i hope a lot of it comes at the beginning and then it just like gets refined after that (laughs) um yeah (laughs) that would be nice um who knows though chances are intention yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very much on my consciousness now, you know, like I read a lot of books. Uh, I've re- been reading a lot of parenting books. I've been doing inner child work for the last five years, both on myself and working with clients. And a lot of the, the studying that I do with inner child works, inner child work, um, happens on parenting blogs. Funnily cool. enough, like I, I read a lot of Gabor Mate. I, have studied the compassionate inquiry. I'm, I'm studying internal family systems and and going through the training for internal family systems therapy right now. Um, but a lot of this stuff that I apply to inner child work comes from parenting blogs. So this stuff has been on my radar for the last few years. So I feel very well equipped, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 32 when I have my first child. 
I feel much better equipped than I would have been at 25, um, which I'm very grateful for. But this transition through pregnancy has been a ceremony in itself and has brought up a lot of emotions that have been very difficult Mm -hmm. to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Outside of anger too, or has anger been just like that, that big one that it's showing itself? I think anger has been the big one. There's also been some fear um, that pokes its head up intermittently. I think anger is definitely the most dominant one I've sat, you know, I've spent years sitting with shame and I feel actually I have a pretty good relationship with shame now. Like there's wisdom in it and I feel, um, yeah, I feel like I'm sure there's stuff inside me that still needs work. Uh, you know, that old adage, the work is never done is always there. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely the anger and, and the protectiveness, like, like, um, are you familiar with astrology? Uh, a little bit. It has to do with like bit. stars, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> the things up there, space kind of. There's um, Or is that in Harry Potter? Both actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a planet called Eris and it's, mm. I'm, I'm not really, I'm not as familiar with it, but one of my teachers was telling me about it and Eris is like feminine anger and it's Mm. this anger that is justified. It's anger that is um, like, (sighs) like taking back power. Mm. And this is a lot of what I've been feeling in pregnancy has been around that kind of anger. Um, Not just cold fury, (laughs) and it's been you know to sit with it to sit with it calmly and to have a dialogue with it has been magic like this is the alchemy that Mm -hmm. that we get to participate in within our own bodies um and i'm not sure you know i'm in it right now so i'm not sure where it's going i'm not sure what all the lessons um will come to or what what the the something into something else will be, you know, the alchemizing led into gold. I'm not sure what that gold is yet within myself. So it's definitely an ongoing process. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I think something that you can impress upon people right now is that like you just shared that this anger is coming up and you don't really know where it's coming from. And so what I noticed in a lot of people is when they get especially an emotion that comes up, they, they need, they feel the need to like dig to like, where is this coming from? Why am I feeling this? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem like, you know, you had some curiosity towards it, but you didn't seem like that was like the focus of, you know, your exploration into it. So what's that all about? I mean, some days, (laughs) other days, I definitely want to dig. I definitely get into my ego and be like, I need to know everything about this thing. Um, (laughs) So I think it's, it's, a journey when I can sit with it, when I'm conscious of, of being with it from a heart space, just allowing it is really healing. Like I sit with it on my little meditation cushion or I'm walking with it outside and I just feel it. Like I let it be there. All of our emotions are part of the human experience. So Mm -hmm. 
to push away an emotion or to not want an emotion is to say, I don't want the full human experience. Mm -hmm. So if we can sit with it, like we're sitting with a friend, um, and actually I just, I just finished running a course called the inner alchemy series. Mm -hmm. It's like a five day meditation through our different emotions. And the premise of it is coming to an emotion that you're experiencing inside of yourself or a part and a part you know, in internal family systems therapy, a part can have a multitude of emotions. A part can also have self-energy and a heart. Um, so we have this complexity inside us. And if we can approach one of those complexities, so a part, say a part that is feeling anger in this moment, and I feel this tightness around my chest, I feel heat in my face, uh, maybe some some tension or pain in my jaw even. Like I can, sometimes I can feel my mandible, like the bone of my jaw, just so dominant. And it, there's anger sitting in it. Um, if we can approach that like we would approach someone we want to have a friendship with, then it's not approaching them and being like, hey, you need to change. You need to be different than you are. You know, if I sat down with you, Will, and was like, hi, I really want to be friends, but I need you to change in order to do that. You probably wouldn't want to be friends with me. <laughs> you know, I hope you wouldn't want to be friends with me. Uh -huh. um, to develop relationships inside of ourselves, we have to have that same honoring that we approach a friendship with. So mm. to be present, to have compassion, to be able to listen without interrupting and to be able to listen from our hearts. Um, and that's really, really important. So if I feel my anger and if I can have that presence, then I'm not saying I need to know where you're from. I need to know why you're here. Give me these answers now. I can say, hi, how are you doing? Can I sit with you? Mm -hmm. And just that slowness and the, the patience of getting to know a part of yourself slowly in a way that you would want someone else to get to know you is so healing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think whenever I've had like huge breakthroughs, it's always from that approach. Like it's never from the digging approach of like, I need mm -hmm. to, I need to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. <clears throat> I think like one of the biggest pieces I got there was the slowness, um, mm -hmm. especially for like sadness, because that's something that, you know, I allowed myself to condition away from, mm -hmm. you know, from from being a young man and then, a, you know, still a pretty young man. But anyway, um, <laughs> but that's not an emotion that I can force. That's not an emotion that I can yeah. like just jump into, you know. So like if I'm if I'm to cultivate like the ability to feel in that capacity, then it's like, yeah, I got to sit, I got to be quiet and I just have to like really feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in, you know, in internal family systems, the theory, if you imagine in yourself like accessing that sadness, you might have to you might have to work through shame, fear, anger, mm -hmm. guilt. Uh, mm -hmm. What else? Confusion which is kind of a mind state, but also an emotion. 
you might have to work through all of this stuff to even feel internally safe enough to access sadness. And if we start to work with a part of ourselves, like I've worked with parts of myself that are so disgusted, like disgust is a big emotion. Mm -hmm. And if I've gone into disgust and I've sat with it for a while, all of a sudden that part of me that is feeling so much disgust and maybe anger or terror or whatever it is shifts and all of a sudden that same part is sadness and everything else was just you know defensive Hmm. um yeah and it comes back to like all of these parts have so much wisdom like they are all trying to protect us they're all trying to keep us safe to keep us connected to other people like we're human we need connection so badly Mm -hmm. yeah super true what is that what's that modality internal family wisdom that's internal family systems therapy and um i first heard of it um inner child work came really intuitively to me it's something i've been doing Mm -hmm. um just naturally is like like if i imagine myself as a kid in this how would i how would i treat myself Um, it's something Mm -hmm. i started doing in my um mid to late 20s and then when i started working with ayahuasca it was like handed to me on a platter um Mm. and ayahuasca taught me how to do that in a really huge way like she held me and went through the stages of the process um and then when i started to get more intentional about healing and was like like ayahuasca actually showed me she's like hey you think you're messed up here this is how actually you are messed up I was like, it was a very, very rude awakening. Um, Mm. And I started to uh, go to, I started reading Gabor Mate's books. I went to his um, workshops. And then finally I did his year-long training in Compassionate Inquiry. And through that training course on his book list, he has a lot of um, Dr. Richard Schwartz's books. And he was founded Mm. Internal Family Systems um, a couple decades ago. And it's, it's brilliant. It is one of the most transformative forms of talk therapy I've ever witnessed, experienced, done on myself, done with others. Like it's phenomenal. Um, and it has some, some really incredible effects too. I, there was just an article that came out in our newsletter um, about its effects on PTSD and how mm how healing it can be for that and there's not a lot of talk therapies out there that are deeply healing for ptsd like it's it's Mm -hmm. been a struggle for people to work through um, Mm -hmm. in many modalities so knowing that is is really cool and really exciting yeah interesting that's what is uh, yeah what do you what do you think is different about this system than like other talk therapies it focuses on mindfulness. Um, mm. It focuses on being very, very present with yourself. And there's a couple different ways of using it. Um, I'm still learning mm-hmm. the multitude of ways, but um, there's something called insight. And so, you know, if I was working with you, I'd be helping you navigate your inner relationship. So, say you had a part of you that felt a lot of 
big feelings or had a lot of thoughts or judgments around something that was happening in your life, um, instead of just working with you, I would help you work with that part. And so I would, I would kind of help you facilitate an internal conversation um, mm. and build a relationship with this part so that you're developing not only this knowledge of yourself, but you're developing trust in a two-way street between you and this part of you and between this part of you and you. Like self-love, it's so complex. And we talk about self-care and we talk about self-love. And I don't think we really know what that means. Like to love every part of yourself means to love the judgmental parts, to accept them as they are, and to know that, you know, on some level, these judgmental parts are trying to keep us safe. They're trying to keep us connected. They might not know how to do that because they might be, you know, they might be built when we were five years old. So the the cognition of a five-year-old. Um, but they're still trying to do that for us. And so the extent mm-hmm. at which they love us is profound. But for us to love that part can be very, very difficult. And now the trust, if we can't love that part and we continually ignore it, we continually push it down, we continually, you know, depress it, the trust is broken. Hmm. And now that part doesn't necessarily trust us. Mm-hmm. And so what I found in internal family systems for myself and for my clients is the level of trust you can build within yourself. And when you trust yourself, it's like nobody can tell you what you need. It's like you know what you need. The intuitive knowledge of what you need when you need it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. I love that. <clears throat> I feel that like definitely for myself, um, a lot of my big a lot of my big breakthroughs have been from like rather than like imposing how I should be or how I could mm-hmm. be or how I don't want to be um, just diving into like, how am I actually, mm-hmm. you know, and just being like radically honest with myself, you know, and, and that yeah. can be difficult because it could be like, Oh, actually, you know, this, this person is actually fine. They're just living their life. I'm just being a judgmental dick right now. It's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Something to look at, but it's like, for some reason it it can be, I don't know. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's difficult for us to like accept that we might be the problem? Oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe ego. Like, why, why, mm. why is it so hard to accept that we are the problem? Because we want to be safe. We want to be yeah. comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is one of the ways that our ego protects us. You know, mm. our ego is this beautiful thing inside us that just wants the best for us, but doesn't necessarily know what the best means. Hmm. Um, And so if, you know, if we have a really powerful ego, we want to be seen in a good light. We want to see ourselves in a good light. You know, this is one of the problems with victim mentality. Hmm. You know, if you're going like, woe is me, all of this stuff is happening to me. These people aren't treating me the same as I, or the, the, the way I want to be treated, going on and on and on. And I'm and I'm not saying, you know, people are victimized. It's a very real thing. 
Um, yeah. But when we're stuck in victim mentality in our day-to-day life, um, one of the ways that, and, and I have been there, you know, it's, it's a really, it's not a comfortable place to be, but it's mm. more comfortable than taking responsibility for yourself. And mm. so we talk about this, you know, oh, I am the problem. Like, <laughs> it's me. <sighs> Instead of calling ourselves a problem, how can we just call ourselves to take that responsibility? And this mm-hmm. came up for me, uh, when did it come up? Two nights ago on the full moon, facing mm. my shit, midnight on the full moon. Um, mm. I couldn't sleep. I was going through these ruminating thoughts and I had to pause and ask myself, how can I take responsibility for this situation? I can't take responsibility for other people's behavior, but Mm. I can take responsibility of my narrative, how I think about them, how often I think about them, and how did I play a role in the progression of our relationship? Mm. And that's really, really important because it not only makes you look at yourself and say, okay, how can I change my behavior? But it empowers you to no longer be the victim. Um, And, Mm. you know, in this particular case, I think I came to a conclusion where, you know, my boundaries got seriously crossed and I chose not to use my voice. Mm. I, I was too afraid to use my voice. I I wasn't standing up for myself. I wasn't even having a casual conversation around like, hey, what what are our expectations in this relationship? And that's how I can take responsibility for it. So it informs now, not only am I acknowledging that I had a part to play, but it informs how I proceed in the future. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. I love that. So if it seems to be that the ego stops us from taking responsibility sometimes so we feel safe, what is it Mm -hmm. when we're like in those downward spirals that is constantly like reinforcing that negative talk? Because it wouldn't make sense to me that that would be the ego or maybe it is the ego because it kind of keeps us in that just shelled in comfortable Mm -hmm. place. You know, but then yeah. it makes me think that like the ego is super confused and and is the ego because is we super know that <laughs> is because because those thoughts are not good for us physically, you know? So Yeah, like, they're not. You're that? right. Um, but they're familiar. And yeah. familiar is known. And mm. this is one of the things that I've learned from my own experience. And you know, I can't speak to every experience. I can speak to mm-hmm. what I've been taught by my teachers and what I've experienced myself. Um, And I would say, yes, that is the ego. When you're going down those spirals, it's like, oh, this feeling is familiar, especially if you're someone who, you know, has struggled with depression for a really long time. Excuse me, I've got the hiccups. Or struggled Mm -hmm. with anxiety for a really long time. You know, there is a pattern here. And you think of, like, I think there's a – Gosh, there's a maybe it's Joe Dispenza actually. He talks about the ski hill. Maybe it's not him. Hmm. If you imagine a ski hill as your brain, and there's like a new uh, coating of fluffy snow all the way down mm. the hill. Maybe it's a sled hill, something like that. 
And you start at the top and you get on your sled and you go all the way down to the bottom and you've just created a rut in the snow. There's a new Mm. pathway. If you start at the same place and direct your your sled in the same same direction, that rut is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper Mm. until it's going to be really hard to start at the same place and go any different direction because... Mm it has been honed and polished over time. Now, if we start in another direction and turn our sled away, then we can build a whole new trench or a whole Mm. new slide. And so now we have a new pathway. And this is is what happens in our brain. And what trauma does, um, and Gabor, says, you know, Gabor Mate, he says, um, trauma isn't what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you. Mm. When something happens and it might be, it might be very, very small. You know, uh, I was feeling sad and nobody could be with me in that sadness. And so I was alone in it as a three-year-old and everyone was really busy. Say everyone loved me a lot, but they were really busy dealing with the dramas of life. And nobody could be with me to help me through this sadness. Well, if that if that becomes trauma, then in that moment, I'm beginning to lose my flexibility, my my flexibility of responses. I might in that moment go into an isolation beha- behavior. Hmm. And because it has affected me to such a degree, I lose my ability to respond any different. You know, another kid might shake it off. It's like, yeah, okay, they weren't able to be with me today, but usually they are able to be with me and can help me through the sadness. So I have a little bit of tools. I can function. I'm going to shake it off and go play with my, you know, play in the sandbox. No big deal. But if you don't have those tools, if you, if you, if it's become something that is traumatic, then every time that thing is triggered, you now go into this isolation behavior because you've lost your full spectrum of ability to respond in different ways. Mm-hmm. Just like the sled going down the hill, you have now built this trench that you can't get out of. And this is partly, I mean, this is what our ego does for us. It says, hey, this works for me and it's known and it's safe. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do this every time. Totally. And so when we get into these spirals, it's not that our ego wants us to feel awful. It's not that it wants to create physiological damage within our bodies from the emotions that we're feeling and the the chemicals that we're excreting, the stress hormones, the cortisol, whatever it is. It's that it it learned at some point how to take care of us in a certain way and it's known. So it does it every time now because our ego isn't very smart. <laughs> our ego loves hmm. us to death, but it doesn't change. It stays the same for years and years and years on end. Um, hmm. And it's really difficult, especially when those trenches on that ski hill are so deep and Mm -hmm. so polished with years of use Um, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to to change it but 
our human mind is incredible and mm -hmm. it is possible. Super true. Anything is possible. And so many incredible people are proving that like <clears throat> mm -hmm. Joe Dispenza for is it, you know, I've been following his stuff for some years and it's like, it's mind blowing the things that we can get ourselves out of if we're like committed, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's so difficult to, sometimes it's very difficult to like impress that upon people when, you know, these people have been going through chronic conditions and then, mm -hmm. you know, their doctors give them less than <laughs> promising news and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, have you seen those videos of his mm. conferences where someone walks in with like Parkinson's disease and you can actually see them shake on the on the video and they sit in like a three day conference and they walk out standing tall with no shake and they've like yeah, basically cured themselves of Parkinson's. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. People with like like a decade of paraplegia and then they're, yeah. they're done. You know, autoimmune. Yeah. Or like the the turning around skin wounds from chronic cancer treatments chronic like many many cancer mm. treatments and they mm -hmm. like walk in they show you they open up the the wound and it's like you know a wound it's sticky it's nasty it's like mm -hmm. goopy <laughs> and then right after three days they show you again and it's like fully healed tissue like what uh -huh. this yeah. is this is stuff you this is stuff that people would talk about in christianity like these are the miracles of jesus christ right Right. Like these are the miracles that the saints in India would mm -hmm. would be hailed for. Mm -hmm. These are not the miracles of like a Western society. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yet and yet people are coming together with incredible intention and sitting together. You know, his conferences, there's thousands of people there mm -hmm. and they're they're all sitting in meditation together, creating this energy. Never mind like the. And, and he's studying it. Like he puts electrodes on people and like looks at what's happening in their mind. It is fascinating. Mm -hmm. We're just getting really excited here. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we're just so lucky to have people like this in the world. And like Wim Hof is another amazing example. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, there's <clears throat> the one thing is that like, so the form of breath work that uh, I've been trained in and I practice, it's, you know, the conscious connected breathing, like the many schools, but um how ours differs from Wim Hof is we're very gentle. Like we don't, we don't like really force mm. it, but, but, mm -hmm. you know, even though he's like doing these like Superman things again, he's like, he's going in the labs, he's going in the hospitals and getting fully tested and that stuff. And then they're like, I'm sure you've heard this story, but like after he did one of his things, they're like, they did what science does and they say, okay, well, you're the exception, you know? Yes. But then he's like, okay, yeah. give me 20 people and I'll train them. So he trains these 20 people for a week, all yeah. different age ranges, up to like 75 around there was like the oldest person. And then after a week of training, they all climb this massive mountain in their shorts. Like it's it's mm -hmm. unbelievable. It's so cool. And you know, it's interesting because I was having I was having this conversation with my partner the other day. Um, and we have this obsession with double blind placebo controlled mm. studies mm -hmm. in the west and one of the one of the deepest healing modalities that i've been part of is a modality that we don't understand we can barely we can't study it i mean people mm -hmm. are studying it to some degree but we can't do a double blind placebo study with ayahuasca because 
you know, you're mm-hmm. entering the spirit world. It's mm-hmm. it's not, you know, I've had ceremonies where I've had to drink a lot and had very little effects. And I've had ceremonies where I've literally taken barely anything and had my ass handed to me, like yeah. really faced myself in hard, yeah. hard ways. And for me, like I have this, this belief in myself that she doesn't give you anything you can't handle. Mm. Um, and if you, you know, if you go like, okay, well this amount per body weight and we're going to study it in this mm-hmm. way, like, I just don't, I just don't think that's possible. And yet the healing that I have found and that thousands of other people have found has been studied by the Shipibo tribe and other tribes in Peru for thousands of years. And the science of that, like if if you if you look at science, it is mostly, I mean it's asking questions, but it's observation. It's witnessing. And so to not give credit to these these ancient sciences, Ayurveda, Ayurvedic medicine was the first medicine to perform surgery 3,000 years ago. Mm. What they know about the body is extraordinary. Chinese medicine, you know, indigenous medicine in North America, like this is also science. And we, I think we need to just reevaluate what we think we know here in the West because <laughs> we don't know shit. Right. Well, there's this, there's this thing with science that like people are hailing it as like the absolute truth, but what it is, is like, is the quest for truth, you know, and any answer mm-hmm. that they come to is like, it's just, usually it's just like the proof of whatever hypothesis that they were doing, or it's the result of whatever exper- experiment they were doing. So it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. this is the next step, you know, this is the next yeah. stair that we can now step on you know, and quantum physics is like really proving this because it's like, oh, well, so this particle can be here and somewhere else at the same time and at all times. Yeah, It just shows us what we don't know. It like (laughs) every, yeah. And that's how I learned it in school, which was really cool. Like I had some great science teachers. Um, It was like, okay, you ask a question and if you ask a good question, it'll lead you to five other questions. And so, you know, when I was writing in college, when I was writing um, up like an academic paper, I was doing some some study because I went to school for athletic and exercise therapy. So we were studying some exercise physiology. Um, we would come to the end of the paper and like it would always end with like, well, we don't know this and we don't know that. So more studies are needed. Yeah, right. Always. Like every time, always. And so, yeah. And I mean, I'm not. I'm not really, I'm a scientist of myself. I'm a scientist of the process of, of internal inquiry. And I love observing the patterns in my own life, but you know, I'm not really a a scientist in the Western sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably a good thing. (laughs) Um, What do you feel about this statement? If, if somebody else can do it, so can I. Hmm, I have to think about that. How do I feel about that statement? Do you do you always think about your feelings? Or do you feel them, Molly? 
I think I uh, multifaceted. <laughs> think about <laughs> think about how I feel about that. Um, what do I think and feel about that? How do I experience what you just said? If somebody else can do it, so can I. Um, I don't. That's never really sat with me. I know that some people find a lot of uh, inspiration from what other people can do. Mm. I'm really. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm really self-oriented. You know, I just mm -hmm. started a magazine last year called Ipsity, which is selfhood. Like it's the process of selfhood. Cool. Um, and I'm sure there's people in my family who would probably call me deeply selfish. Um, <laughs> I am a little bit. I really love spending time with myself. I really love, uh -huh. you know, going through this process. So, I think when I was younger, like one of the arguments, you know, I'm just thinking externally, if my sister was hearing me speak right now, she'd be like, no, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> like anything I did, you did. So like uh -huh. she was always really irritated because not only would I do it, but she thinks I would do it better than her. And she, it uh -huh. would be like a, a big thing between us. She was my older sister. I was a middle child. Um, nice. So really like to stir the pot in any way that I could. Um, so when she started guitar, when I was, you know, 13 years old, I was like, yeah, I want to play guitar too. She was like, no, you're not yeah. doing it. Like yeah. I get this, this is mine. And, um, so I didn't, um, Aww. and that's okay. <laughs> I played the violin. It was all good. Yeah. No, that was nice uh, <laughs> I don't think I had an option. <laughs> I think, I think the hammer came down. Um, so. I think when I was a kid, it was like motivating because I would see someone else doing something cool and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I think that that kind of exists in me still if I'm if I'm getting really conscious with it, um, you're, you're experiencing I'm sharing my process of of mm -hmm. witnessing how that question is affecting yeah, me. Is so maybe my answer is changing a little bit. Um, like I think it. that probably it probably does exist in a part of me, especially the more competitive parts. And <laughs> I think that comes from a, oh, I'll show you up kind of attitude um, mm. that existed when I was a middle child. Mm. I'm still a middle child, but when I was a child version of that middle child. Um, now it's less motivating to me because I have made amends with those competitive parts and I've sat with their wounding and so they they don't lead me as much as they used to um now I hear that and I think no like I want to do my own thing <laughs> I want to I want to create my own way and and I love yeah I, I mean this is where this selfless self not selfless selfness comes from um mm -hmm. i really love myself and i love my direction and so when mm -hmm. other people do cool stuff it's like oh that's cool stuff that's awesome yeah. um but i don't have the same urge to pursue what other people are doing as i did um when i was unconscious to those competitive aspects of myself mm -hmm. well, thanks for that that was like a little journey 
<laughs> that was a whole journey. Thank you. That was really cool. That was really good. Cool. Good question. <laughs> so, I mean, to sum up your answer, it's like, uh, yes and no. You would you would rather <laughs> do your own thing, but if you were gonna do something somebody else did, you would obviously do it much better than them. Oh, duh. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Amazing. Or, I, or I would want to do it better than them and then feel down on myself that I couldn't or something. Yeah. Like that, I think that's, yeah, a, that's a whole protective part of me of like, you know, seeking validation or th- seeking attention. Um, yeah. I think, I don't know. Are you, you're not a middle, middle child, are you? K- kind of. Yes and no. I have an older half sister. Okay. Okay. So yes. So yes and no. But, but I feel like if there's bit. any like yeah, I feel like maybe other middle children who are listening to this could reach out cuz I feel <laughs> like that competitiveness and that like seeking validation and um attention so you're like doing things to the best of your ability really pushing yourself. I feel like that's in a middle child thing, but I don't know. I'll have to wait and see if any middle children are like, "Yep." Got it. <laughs> yeah, totally. As your friends, it's hard to say. Amazing. Um, we're just hitting an hour. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling good. Definitely uh, hitting a wall. Um, starting to feel the weight of my belly. Um, <laughs> so I think I'd like to get horizontal fairly soon. Epic. But uh, okay. Also, well, let me good. just ask you like one more question. Cool. Okay, if there was, what what do you think would be the most beneficial thing for like, for like the evolution and like the coherency of the humans? What what is like what is the thing that we should be focusing on? Hmm. Simple one, real easy. So easy. Um... Mm-hmm. I think the thing we should be focusing on is stepping back and prioritizing what the indigenous people have to say. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to stop right there. I think that's what we need to do. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. And that's been... That's actually been coming up more and more for me um, as well. It's really beautiful. Yeah. um, The Western culture, capitalist culture. Oh, man. It's not it's not healing the world. Um, It's not taking care of the land. It's not leading us forward in a heart centered way. Mm. Um, and yet we are also dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's incredible voices all around the world. There's the Australian indigenous people. There's the indigenous people in the Amazon, in Mexico, in North America. And they are leaders. We just need to step back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all over the world. Like even ones that aren't on my radar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A million percent. Yes. And like, I'm, I'm really grateful for 
you know, seeing all the people of our generation um, that are indigenous that are stepping up and speaking out and like really being in that warrior archetype, you know, and like having like the enough is enough kind of thing, because like that is so inspiring and I haven't fully, I haven't fully figured out how I can be like the strongest ally possible, you know? Yeah. But that is something that is like, it's, 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 I'm feeling it big time. Yeah. I, I don't have the answer to that at all. I think one of the things I do do is, um, have really difficult conversations with friends and family when I see that they are not listening to the people who are already speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't have the answer, but I'm learning. And I think that's what we can do. And knowing when to stop talking is probably important too. <laughs> <laughs> is that a hint to me? No, 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 it's not a hint no, to you, I'm but totally I think kidding. it's a, it's, totally you know, for myself, because I'm saying, you know, I don't have the answers yeah. rambling Wise. on about what I think. I'm like, no, I don't have the answers, period. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love it. I love your yeah. There's some great wisdom. people. Like, uh, hold on. Maybe I. Maybe I. <laughs> oops. Sorry. You're hold, cutting out. Hold on. Oh, okay. I love that. Hold on. Come <laughs> on. Okay. I'm here. Cool. Um, <laughs> having said that, you know there are some there. The things we can do is lift up some um, people who do have a voice. And on Instagram, mm -hmm. someone I really love is Peter Not So White. Hmm. He's fantastic. He shares some amazing stuff. He's an incredible creator, incredible dancer. Um, and he's got some amazing resources for, um, I, I believe he's Canadian. He, uh, he's North American indigenous. I don't even know if he identifies with as Canadian. He's mm. North American Turtle Island. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm going to check him out. Cool. Great. <laughs> Molly, thank you so much. You're so amazing. And like, I really, I really see that you're like, <clears throat> you're living in your medicines and that you take very seriously all the experiences that you've had. And I can sense that, you know, you really help people out for the sake of helping people out. And I think that's really beautiful. You have a really big heart and it really shines through. So on behalf of the people, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I feel, mm. uh, yeah, I feel a lot of emotion listening to you say that. I fuck up a lot. Mm. Um, we all do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this work is important to me. And I really appreciate you, you know, your, your desire to, talk to me about it and to share um, our hearts and your encouragement. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing but an honor. <laughs> where, uh, where can people find you other than your rocking chair? On my rocking chair. Uh, yeah, don't find me on my rocking chair. That's like my solo place. So <laughs> Yeah, leave her alone. She's pregnant, yeah. guys. <laughs> leave her alone, guys. Um, 
No, uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's just Molly J Wilder. You can also find me on Insight Timer. I I I love mm. offering. You know, I, I love what I do. What I do needs to make money, and mm-hmm. I think not everybody has the financial ability to pour into that. So I do have some free offerings on Insight Timer, um, and I show up there live once a week or so to do different meditations. I offer some yoga classes there that are like a pay what you can, um, mm. as well as my many offerings just through Instagram and on my website run women's groups and different things. So um, I think, yeah, there's something for everybody either on one of those platforms. And it's always Molly J. Wilder. So that's my website, that's my email, and that's my Instagram. <laughs> mm, beautiful. We shall post the links. Cool. Thank you. Again, thank you so much. Enjoy this uh, Enjoy this last little trimester you got. And so much love to you and your man and your family. I appreciate and, uh, that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, speak again, maybe in like a year or something. See how it's... Yeah, see, see how that mother archetype is, <laughs> how that's yeah. coming along. I hate it. it. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're going to love Maybe it, some serious sleep deprivation. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? No, yeah. it'll be perfect. Perfect baby. Perfect baby. Uh, do you know the gender? I do. I'm not sharing. Is that a secret? <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha, ha. All right. Tell me when the recording's off. <laughs> okay, cool. Sounds good. <laughs> okay, great. Say bye to the people if you want to. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for lending us your ears. It's wonderful mm-hmm. to share this with you. Mm-hmm. Much love. So much love, everybody. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you later. Bye.